everyone, this is Catherine O'Connell and welcome to Lawyer On Air. If you are looking for inspirational stories about women in law, then this is the podcast for you. Join me and my lawyer ladies as we enjoy a glass of wine after a hard day at work and talk about the world of women in law. I hope you will enjoy getting to know these amazing women who I am so proud to share a profession with. I'm glad you're here and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to this bonus episode in season three of Lawyer On Air. As I have spoken with my fabulous women guests on season one, two and three so far, it's occurred to me that the legal recruitment process is pivotal to securing legal roles in Japan. I thought it would be really helpful for listeners on the podcast if I had a legal recruiter on the show to share insights on the hiring process in Japan trends being seen, and to share some interesting stories about where we are at emerging from this pandemic. There are people who find legal roles in Japan through word of mouth and personal introductions, but upward of 80% of roles are placed with and assisted by recruiters. In Japan, there are more than 100 recruitment agencies, and of those, there are specialist recruitment firms, such as those specializing in legal recruitment only. Recruiters are typically paid a commission by companies searching for candidates they introduce that are subsequently hired. And right now, legal recruiters across Japan, particularly Tokyo, are saying that they are experiencing the most active job market conditions in the past three years. So today I'm joined by Arikis Kojabasis, who is manager of legal, compliance and risk in the legal recruitment team at Michael Page in Tokyo. The Tokyo office was launched in 2001, which means they saw their 20th anniversary in 2021. Arekis assists hiring clients and candidates searching for legal compliance and risk positions in Tokyo, working across seniorities, practice areas and industries for both in-house and law firms. He's often consulted for immediate hiring needs or for longer term consultation leading up to searches, supporting both contingency searches and retained searches. And his focus, as I mentioned, focuses both on law firms and in-house. He has successfully introduced legal candidates in different industries such as technology, finance, energy and others, and in varying senioritys such as legal counsel, legal director, compliance manager, associate and partner level. Well, in terms of personal accolades, Arekis was the number one biller for Michael Page Japan in 2021, and he's a member of the top 10 in Michael Page Asia. He grew up in Athens, Greece, and he came to Japan in January 2020. And when he's not recruiting, you'll see him out and about in town trying delicious food, playing sports, traveling, or he tells me doing all of those at the same time. Well, let's get into it. I'm very pleased to bring you Arekis as my special guest today. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very pleased to be here, Catherine. Lovely to have you. And I'd really like to ask you the same question I ask all my women guests. It's if we're meeting up in person, uh, where would we be? Because you're obviously out and about eating and drinking. Do you have a favorite wine bar or restaurant you'd go to and what would be your choice of the menu? Yeah, so um, I, I often go to Bar Ember in uh, Azabu. Um, uh-huh. There I like the siesta cocktail. Basically, it's um, a mix of 
tequila, lime, uh, grapefruit, and Campari. It's a, a sweet and sour cocktail. And uh, you'll also find me in Aladdin, in uh, Hero. Uh, this is an Iranian restaurant. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoy the Iranian cuisine. It, it falls uh, close to home. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's comfort food for me. But however, I would uh, generally enjoy exploring any neighborhood and uh, popping in in any bar or restaurant that I find uh, nice from the outside. Generally, that's how I found quite a lot of hidden gems around the city. That's great. I mean, you go around Tokyo and go to a restaurant for your lunch and dinner, a different place every day. You'd never get around all of them, would you really? Exactly. Yeah. So that's why, especially in the weekends when I have time, I just sometimes pick up an area that I have never visited and uh, walk around with friends or my girlfriend and uh, explore. Oh, exciting. I might see you around because, you know, Tokyo is big, but it's actually very small. And recently there's been some podcast guests that I've just bumped into uh, around and about. And it's been quite funny when you realize how small Tokyo actually is. I know that you've been listening to the podcast through seasons one, two, and you're catching up on three. And you told me the other day before we started to, you know, record and think about today's episode and how we'd like it to be. You said that you were catching up and listening to some old podcasts and you found them very useful advice in there. Can I ask you what you saw or heard that stood out for you just listening back? Yeah, thanks for the question. So I'd uh, single out uh, two things uh, on that one. First of all, I have found particularly useful uh, Angela Kranz's advice from the very first episode uh, of the podcast on uh, how she controls uh, her calendar and uh, works uh, on different matters based on uh, her own priority. Mm. Uh, I found this advice particularly useful as a young manager. I've I've realized uh, we have to handle a lot of tasks and it's quite easy to be overwhelmed and let the day control you instead of you controlling the day. That's why I'm, I'm doing my best to work on matters based on how I prioritize them and not based on external pressure that, that I might be getting from people, either clients or my boss or, or candidates and so on. So that's the first thing uh, that I, I would uh, single out. And then the second is a little bit more general, but I have found um, especially inspirational how many people with different stories uh, you've brought to the podcast. And I think that's a big lesson uh, both for, from a recruitment perspective as well, that no matter where you are and where are you starting, you can point your career in the direction uh, you want. I've come across several bright individuals who pivoted their career to totally different directions than what is common. And it's also beautiful to see from your podcast, the uh, stories of women defying the odds and, uh, and achieving their targets. Whoa, that's lovely. Thank you so much. That gives me a really like goosebumps and warm feeling to hear that. And, you know, to thank Angela at the first episode that she's still inspiring many, many people. And I think that calendar control was one of her key points. Thanks so much. And also those inspirational stories. Yes, we're all getting to various places along our direction and there is no one path. And I know we're going to talk about a bit of that today. So thank you for calling those two out. Let's jump in then as a legal recruiter. You know, what is that recruitment process looking like in Japan these days? And how long is it sort of taking from, I guess, when people will start their application right through uh, to being hired? What are the sort of key steps there? Yeah, so application to starting date uh, takes roughly three months, uh, more or less. Essentially, one month would be for the interview process, then uh, a couple of weeks 
for getting the offer approvals and negotiating the offer. And then around one and a half months uh, notice period, that's uh, how it usually looks like. I see. And is that, that hasn't changed over the years. That sounds fairly familiar to what I experienced, although perhaps it was a little bit longer than three months. But have you seen any differences then over the last few years? Not really. It, it differs company by company. So essentially, companies that hire often know how important uh, speed is. So they have managed uh, to shorten their processes to even uh, two or two and a half months. But companies that do not hire often, Sometimes it may take a little bit longer to arrange interviews. It might take a little bit longer for approvals. So it might actually end up being around four months. So the difference is based on the company or based on the law firm, rather than, uh, you know, it, it was different a few years ago than now. Right. That's good. Three to four months. That's really good to hear. And what are you seeing from your hiring managers and law firms and in-house? What are they actually looking for? Um, we've heard some other special guests on the show talk about, you know, secondments aren't that important. It's about the way the person behaves, their business skills, their soft skills, and of course, their hard letter law, the qualifications. But what else are you seeing there as right in the recruitment scene? I would um, focus on the soft skills mainly and divide my answer between in-house and law firms. So in-house, the most important uh, skill is commerciality. So mm. the ability of the lawyer to give advice relevant to business decisions and not very strictly law advice. So the right. ability to operate uh, in the gray or being able to to judge what's important for the business, but also what's important to have the company covered uh, from a legal perspective. And then uh, on the law firm side, uh, the main priority is the willingness to learn and uh, how hungry is, uh, is someone to work, which is why also law firms typically prefer to hire associates at a more junior level. As um, a couple of partners have actually told me, it's quite difficult uh, to teach an old dog uh, new tricks. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, uh, on the law firm perspective, I'd say the willingness to learn uh, is the most important factor. Of course, a, a good law school will get you the interview, but right. it, it will not help you pass the interview. So as long as you get the interview, then you really have to put your personality in it. Ah, it'll help you get the interview, but not pass the interview. Exactly. Very key. Right. Well, what's hot right now? What industries and sectors are hot? I'm hearing a lot about sustainability and ESG and uh, getting women on boards at executive level and also a lot of talk about legal tech and, and DX transformation, well, digital transformation, right? DX. What are you seeing there? Globally, I would agree with you that ESG and women leadership are uh, one of the focal points of conversations. However, in Japan right now, I think technology and energy are uh, the two hottest industries. Technology, of course, it's, it's a global trend uh, with um, working from home and a lot of innovative software that has come to market. This has generated a lot of positions in business functions as well as uh, on the legal side. And then um, energy in particular, especially in Japan, it has been a quite hot topic. Uh, both uh, in terms of renewable energy projects, especially offshore wind, as well as uh, energy infrastructure project. A lot of Japanese companies are investing uh, around Southeast Asia and the Middle East. Even in Europe recently, I think with the Russia-Ukraine crisis, energy is, is sort of coming uh, to the mm. forefront of conversation. 
in addition to technology and energy, we still have a lot of positions in finance and healthcare, which is a little bit more regulated industries, more traditional industries. So there we get uh, more backfill positions, more replacement positions, rather than uh, new opportunities. I see. Okay. I've got to go back a couple of steps because I forgot to ask you about why it is in Japan that most people tend to use recruiters. I said in the beginning, upwards of 80%, but is there some particular reason why in Japan recruitment companies are really the main source for hiring methods? For me, my personal bias is that Japan's very much based on an introduction kind of uh, community and culture, is that more prevalent here? So I think the most important thing is that recruiters take a lot of the burden of mm. a job search. Mm. Namely, we provide market research before you start applying. Secondly, we can give a summary of available positions that maybe for a candidate, it can take a while to look uh, at different websites or ask their friends on what position exists. Instead, you know, recruiters, we can just give a list ready. Also, we have um, information uh, generally on salaries on the market and not just for the one uh, job that you may be applying to. So that's really helpful coming the negotiation stage to realize how much is um, a candidate's value on the market and how much they can actually negotiate. And fourthly, which is quite important as well, we assist with all the interview arrangements and make mm. sure that all the timelines match up when a candidate is about to get an offer. It's quite common that some offers, some processes run faster than others. Uh, so having that alignment and make sure that all offers come at the same time is, is really helpful for the decision making in the end. That's great. And for me also, I found a little bit of a, it was great having a cushion in between me and the company I was going to work for or applying to work for. It just gave a little bit of a position where I could speak quite freely. Exactly. with the recruiter yeah. um, and then I could give quite candid feedback and I think the recruiter would determine what to filter through or how to say it or probably in a different way that I might say it right in the thick of it do you see what I mean so I think a recruiter really gives some um, help uh, a real help that you almost can't put a finger on it it's kind of qualitative in the way that you are able to express a candidate's emotions or feelings or feedback rather than doing it too directly i think that's also something i picked up exactly that's an excellent point and uh, you know everything i mentioned is why you should use recruiters globally not, not just in japan but what you're referring to i think is especially relevant to the Japan market because it's such a small market and recruiters essentially help you keep the anonymity and assist uh, with a lot of the sensitive uh, negotiation points or discussions that may arise uh, during a job process. Right. And you mentioned the sensitivity there, but are there any peculiarities about Japan specifically for hiring perhaps with your firm here compared to other offices that you're dealing with? Is there something special about the way hiring is done in the Japan market? One of the main challenges that we are facing is how unique the Japan market is. So especially when working on the client side with clients who are headquartered in Europe or the US or anywhere in Asia for that matter, it's quite difficult to help the international stakeholders understand the oh, Japan market. Yes. So I'd say that's that's the main peculiarity with it. Mm, so you've been here in the Tokyo market the last two and a half years, is that right? Correct. Yeah, well, what drew you to the Tokyo market? Why do you love being here, apart from the restaurants you talked about that you love 
investigating what else is here that really makes you feel like you want to stay in Tokyo a little while longer? I came here uh, totally uh, as a as a fluke. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> it was pure luck that I arrived here. Mm. Essentially, mm. while I was studying in the UK, I was uh, planning to either stay in England or work in the US. Maybe I, I didn't really want to work in Greece. And there in England, I I met my girlfriend uh, who is Iranian, but she has grown up in Japan. And uh, while I was doing my job search, she asked me well, you know, you're considering to live somewhere outside Greece. Why haven't uh, you tried uh, Japan? And uh, I'm always out for an adventure. So I just said, mm. sure, let's give it a shot. And uh, I got my job in Michael Page. It started going fairly well. And uh, that's um, that's how it all started. Now, what's keeping me here? I'd say it's a country with uh, beautiful weather, beautiful food, and uh, a lot of places to explore, both within Tokyo as well as in the countryside. So it's a, a very happy place to be. Mm, so does that adventurous kind of spirit help you in the way that you're also helping candidates think about coming to work in Japan? I, I do think it helps me because it gives me the ability to think outside the box. And in many cases, you know, there are standard ways that things are done, but there's also several pathways that, that a candidate can explore that are a little bit less common. And I'm very much... Uh, encouraging sometimes the candidates uh, to take the less common shots. And in some cases, it has been uh, quite successful. Mm, that sounds great. I love that. And yeah, being an ad adventurous spirit in Japan really matters because it takes you from different places, right? From in-house to back to private practice as I did, and then private practice out again to do something new. And I think you do need an adventurous spirit while you're here. Exactly. Actually, my first placement in a law firm was uh, from a lawyer coming uh, from in-house. And I remember talking with the managing partner to get the details of what uh, they are looking for the position. And the managing partner told me, ideally, they want someone from another law firm. But, you know, I still felt like I had the right candidate who is in-house. So I just sent them across and, uh, and that's how they got the role. Wow, that's great. I mean, that doesn't happen very often in the market. It has happened, but, and I think I've heard a little bit more recently that that has happened, but that's almost a story in itself, how you persuaded or what, what, what it was about the in-house candidate in that particular case without giving away anything. But how was it that that was the right person for that job? How did you know that? Yeah, sometimes there are small details uh, on the resume of a candidate especially you know when when lawyers are listing their deal list there might be a, a company that uh, a candidate has worked with or has worked at that uh, could be the client of of that law firm or or could be one um, of the competitive uh, one of the clients they would like to to be the in that law firm mm. so small details like that can can grab the attention of the partner and uh, and give you an interview and once you get an interview you have one step in in the door essentially if you if you show how much you want the job there's more chances you're going to get it Right, that's great. And you, so you're seeing their kind of career and their capabilities in a matrix form rather than sort of too linear and working out how things can work quite nicely for a law firm. And, it, and obviously, in this case, it worked very nicely. Exactly. Yeah. There's small bullet points in, in everyone's resumes that, that can be particularly interesting mm. if, if you read through all of it. 
Very good. Well, how would you describe this current market? It seems to be better than it ever has been. And I know before we got onto this call today, we were talking a little bit more generally with one other person in your firm who's a keen supporter of the podcast as well, Tom McMahon. And, you know, you talked about pay rises and offers uh, coming at the same time for candidates. That kind of situation I don't know was really very prevalent before, but I'm a little out of touch. So I'm really happy for you to enlighten me describing the current market and what you're seeing. Yeah, that's uh, very accurate. It's not uncommon that the candidates get uh, three or four job offers uh, during a search. I think the reason uh, is, uh, well, the lack of bilingual and, uh, bilingual and bicultural talent that always existed in Japan combined uh, with uh, a lot of new roles that have resulted uh, from the boom after the COVID recession. This combination has led to a lot of positions and few candidates. It's a very much candidate-driven market, and that's why we see those salary increases and we see candidates getting several offers at once. Oh, interesting. So tell us a bit more because we're hearing this, you know, great resignation word thrown around a lot. And I'm not sure if we're seeing it in Japan as much as we are perhaps in the United States. I'm reading a lot about it there. Is that happening? Tell us a little bit more about that and these so-called push and pull factors we were talking about as well when we were having our very interesting pre-discussion. Yeah. So again, I'm going to break my answer in two. Sure. Uh, on the candidate side and the client side. So on the candidate's side, the great resignation is not as much a major theme as it's in the US. So you will not see people quitting and not having a next job lined up just because they want better welfare. However, we have seen a shift in mindset in regards to work purpose. Japan traditionally has been a risk-averse society where people rarely are changing jobs. However, in our recent uh, talent trend survey, we actually observed that only 10% of the people who answered are certain that they are not going to resign in the next six months. And uh, around 70% mentioned that uh, they are considering to resign in the next uh, six months. Ooh. So that definitely indicates uh, a shift of mindset, uh, although it is moving a little bit slower compared uh, to, to the US. Now, on the employer side, yes, we have seen uh, employees going to extraordinary lengths uh, to secure and uh, retain talent. I had a very interesting story about 10, 11 months ago. Uh, essentially, I was helping an attorney move from one international law firm to another. Mm. And just uh, a couple of days before he, his last day, his current employer offered him a 150,000 retention bonus, US dollars. Wow, really? Uh, yeah, so 150,000 US dollars retention bonus in order Ooh. to stay with the current law firm. And I had a conversation with a candidate who mentioned to me that uh, they are not really moving uh, for money. So they would be quite happy to, to let the 150K go in order to, to achieve uh, the rest of their priorities. And after the candidate rejected the retention bonus, the, the current employer came back with an even higher retention bonus at 200,000 US dollars, mm. which again, of course, money was not priority for the candidate I was assisting, but 200K is quite a lot of money. So essentially I had to get back to the firm that ended up hiring him 
and asked if they can give a, a little bit of a signing bonus so that, that they can close the gap. And uh, they offered um, a 50K signing bonus. Then the candidate rejected uh, his current employer's offer and he, he just moved. Ooh, how interesting. Yeah, I think that indicates, um, first of all, it's very important for employers to appreciate talent while it's uh, still in the company. If, if you make a, a counter offer when someone has already decided to leave, it's uh, a little bit too late. And the other uh, thing it indicates is it's relevant to the pull and the push factors uh, that, that you'd mentioned. It's, the burden is very much uh, on the employer right now to persuade a candidate why uh, they should join their company. That's why I, I also feel the interview process is a two-way process. A, a company is evaluating a candidate whether they fit their role, but the candidate is also evaluating whether that particular company or law firm uh, fulfills their aspirations. Mm, I wanted to go back to, to you mentioned the candidates these days, although risk adverse, their mindset and work purpose is changing. How's that changing? And then when you try and explain that work purpose to the hiring side, the potential employer side, how does that get explained to them? How are you helping the employers understand a candidate's work purpose? A lot of more focused is uh, is placed on uh, on well-being and mental health and mental happiness. Another interesting finding from our talent trends survey is that uh, 65% of people wouldn't sacrifice well-being for more salary, which comes in contrast with what we were seeing in the past where salary was the number one criterion for people to switch position. So the main change is around our society and the employees being much more aware of their mental health and much more cautious of working in a happy environment. On the client side, I've seen something similar, actually, in regards of trends. So in many cases, there might be an excellent candidate who may have a little bit of an attitude or uh, you know, may not be that excited during the interview process. And in many cases, even if that candidate on paper is the perfect candidate for the job, they might still not get the position because the clients and hiring managers are also very conscious that whoever they hire, they will have to work with them eight, nine hours a day, or, or maybe even more. And uh, that's why there is a lot of focus on the chemistry and the connection there as well. That's very interesting. I, I wonder if that talent trends report is going to be available. Can we link to it in the show notes, perhaps? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much for letting us uh, link it. I think it'll be very interesting to see those changes. And I know one of the other things that used to be was there was a kind of taboo or a rule that, you know, if you're in finance, you couldn't move over to tech or if you're a, a corporate lawyer, you couldn't move into a regulated industry. And I found that held me back myself. For a while when I was always, uh, I was a manufacturing uh, gamba at the, you know, coalface kind of lawyer and I didn't really look to pharmaceutical kinds of jobs or healthcare. Whereas when I actually started to do one, it was through the persuasion or through the good advice from a recruiter that I did do that kind of role as well and tried it. And I think that's interesting because there seems to be this sort of, if you're one thing, you can't be another. And you talked a little bit about that earlier. Can you explain some more about how the recruiter helps there? Um, and I can give you my insights as well, if that's interesting for you. But 
those transferable skills, is that what it is? Or what's going on there to help people to move or to think differently about new roles in different industries or sectors? Absolutely, yes. Again, it is very possible for lawyers to move uh, between industries. A lot of people have uh, switched uh, between finance and uh, technology, for example, uh, recently. I think most of, of the placements I've done in technology are actually lawyers with a finance background. Then uh, I've also seen people moving between uh, from technology to manufacturing or even people moving from manufacturing to healthcare. And healthcare is an interesting one because it really used to be a case of, of musical chairs where a lot of lawyers just moved between the biggest mm. healthcare firms. Mm. But uh, now they are also way more open uh, to, to legal professionals who may not have the law firm, um, so the healthcare experience. I don't think uh, candidates need very much uh, the persuasion of, of the recruiter to do that one. Candidates on their own are very much willing to explore new industries and very much willing to learn. I think the only part where we would contribute as a recruiters is give the encouragement that, yes, it is actually possible, and then recommend the particular positions where this can actually happen. So the recruiter comes essentially with a validation that uh, you can do this. But most of the candidates on their own, they're already quite hungry to learn more, quite hungry to do something new. So we just give the validation, essentially. Mm, I think that's it, actually, the encouragement and validation, because I think in my personal case, it was a sort of self-limitation I was putting that I'm only this kind of lawyer. I can't do another sector industry. But when I actually opened up and was encouraged to do that from the particular recruiter who helped me in that case. It was a case of me opening up and not limiting myself and finding that, ah, I do in fact have these transferable skills that work beyond. And yes, there's a learning curve, of course, for a new industry, but there's a lot that will transfer over if your mind is open to it. That's what I found. Yeah. Exactly. The tougher part here, I think, is uh, persuade uh, or educate, educate mm. the hiring manager to be open for right. a candidate from another industry. Yeah. But due to the nature of the job market, this very much happens uh, by itself. So if a hiring manager has a position open for a long time, six months, maybe a year, then uh, they'll just become uh, more open to, to someone who may have the soft skills or, or maybe a cultural fit. So in, in the beginning, hiring managers start with a fairly narrow mindset that they want a very, very specific type of candidate but as time progresses and they haven't filled their role, that's when they become more flexible. So it's a little bit more difficult for a recruiter to influence on that side. Mm, but I think you do influence. I remember some of my positions I applied for it was definitely had to be Japanese Bengoshi, a Japanese lawyer. It couldn't be a foreigner or it couldn't be someone who was foreign qualified. And it ended up that obviously I'm not Japanese. I, I got the position. So there was a lot of movement there and I'm not sure what quite happens in the background, but there must definitely be some influence and encouragement from the recruiter side to help the employer understand that, you know, this person can do all the things you need. You just need to get over that mental bump, I suppose, of needing uh, a Japanese Bengoshi for every role. And of course, Japanese Bengoshi are certainly needed in particular roles where they are a good fit. It all depends. But at times there is this transition from what the job description read to the actual candidate that they hire in the end. And that transition is quite interesting. It must be very, mm, I think, rewarding for you 
as a you know in your position and as a satisfaction of what you do that you can persuade or encourage those kinds of changes as well yeah you're raising another excellent point here it's one uh, more misconception in the market that most positions are uh, open for uh, for japanese bengoshi which it's clearly not the case and indeed this is a, a situation where a, a recruiter can influence and explain uh, to a company what are the skills uh, that uh, a foreign lawyer uh, can also bring to the table either native japanese or or a foreigner who speaks uh, japanese so uh, absolutely with with the exception of some very specialized roles mainly in, in finance and healthcare i would say that most positions uh, are doable for for every attorney and mm. uh, you know in, in the worst case scenario you can you can always use a law firm <laughs> if you come uh, to the need of of having well, uh, of meeting right. a japanese bengali <laughs> that is true well what else are you seeing in that trends report that you mentioned i'm really interested to hear is there anything else in the talent trends report that pops up that would be really useful to mention at the moment I think the the summary from the talent trends report uh, is that compared uh, to salary which used to be the number one priority there are a lot of other priorities right now that uh, employees uh, care more about including uh, mental well-being that we mentioned mm. uh, secondly remote uh, opportunities thirdly flexible working arrangements uh, so all these extra benefits are starting to matter way more than before when someone makes a, a decision to change jobs and a very interesting theme that i really liked seeing actually was um, that a big motivation for people to change jobs is uh, to have a, a greater sense of purpose uh, in the company they go at that's right purpose and what is that what how did, was there more depth in that what they mean by purpose for me it's like making an impact actually joining a company and being able to transition their company into a new kind of contribution to society but also within that person that they have personally felt their purpose has been achieved to impact others and the environment and social and community is that getting to what you're talking about or is there something else there as well I have a specific examples from my personal experience about different things that give people a sense of purpose. It's it's as if everyone essentially has their own bucket list about the things that they want to achieve in their career and and they try to achieve for instance some people like to have a a very challenging role and work in a company after a merger essentially helping the integration process then other people are very excited to bring uh, their bicultural element to the table and uh, assist uh, perhaps uh, a foreign company which is struggling in Japan uh, because of of the cultural difference uh, assist them to merge these two cultures and act as the in betweener who who softens things up other people are excited uh, to to work on startup projects other people are excited to work in companies that maybe have not been doing as well but they are looking for a restart so that's uh, some examples of purpose that uh, people may have uh, during uh, their careers mm i'm thinking of the bicultural one i like that the elements that you know a sister company to be an in betweener who softens things up i think um that's probably my purpose in what i do right now i love you calling that out thank you so much and how about then 
future of law? What are you seeing in, you know, your crystal ball gazing? I know you've got the report there, but how about you? What trends are you thinking that might be coming into Tokyo and around the globe? I think it would be very interesting to hear those from you. Yeah. So again, I'm gonna I'm going to divide it between uh, mm. hard skills, things that you see on the resume, and then soft skills. Yes. So we mentioned the most trending industries are technology and renewables. And within these two industries, I see increased specialization. So I've seen cases where attorneys are not just a lawyer specializing in technology, for instance, but they may be lawyers who are specializing within a technology sector. For instance, uh, you know, the cloud is, is something that is very much on the rise. And especially in Japan, for instance, there are not many attorneys specializing on regulations around the cloud. And then in energy, it's, it's quite similar. Uh, we have so many different kinds of, of renewable energy, like uh, you know, offshore wind, onshore wind, the solar, uh, and so on. So we do see deeper specializations uh, within the hottest industries right now. Mm. And then the second, I'm not sure if it's a recent trend or not, but again, I'd like to, to highlight the importance of showing your, your good personality when, when you're working with people. And essentially, that's what makes a placement successful, finding the right chemistry between the hiring manager and, and the person they hire. If the match is there on paper, but the right chemistry doesn't exist between the two people, it's quite likely that one of the two is going to start looking soon again. It's so true. I mean, I think of back to Royanne Doy. I'm not sure if you've listened to Royanne's episode, but she talks about this, that she met her hiring manager and they got, they sat down and they was just talking so incredibly deeply and widely that she just knew that's the person I want to work with. You know, the yeah. chemistry was right there. And I think for me, if I think about the previous most recent, you know, corporate role that I had before coming and changing business, you know, and working for myself, was that across the table, meeting the CFO and having a, a great chat and also the general counsel and thinking, I can work with these people. I'm going to spend most of my day with them. I can work with these people. And that's so important. Yeah, that's my story as well. Very similar. I had to choose between uh, three companies when I was uh, coming to Japan. And uh, essentially, with the people that hired me here, I remember the interview was about 10 or 15 minutes about my skills and why I want to do recruitment and 45 minutes uh, casual conversation around football or how we grew up uh, and generally non-work related topics. And that's how I knew that you know the chemistry is there. Yeah. And I mean, when you're interviewing candidates too, you need to know those sorts of things. You don't have to go into the nitty gritty so much as you just have to get a rapport with them because then you know how they're going to be when you describe them to the hiring managers as well and, and vice versa. So I think it's really important. And again, that's coming, you're drawing from your own experience as am I. And when we go through and help others to look for and think about uh, changing careers and what they look for in their next step. Well, exactly. very exciting. And Is there anything else? Yes, that I've missed here that you'd like to talk about? Yes, I was going to add uh, and that's also very relevant uh, to people switching between different industries, because if they manage uh, to build uh, that rapport and that chemistry with a hiring manager from a different industry, they, they are still very much going to get hired. 
Mm. Well, how about the younger end of the market? Maybe there's some people who want to come to Japan and work here. And I know with Angela Krantz's episode you mentioned, they really only look for people who have had two or three years in another country, another jurisdiction, a little bit under their belt before coming here. Is there any kind of advice for people, perhaps young, young to mid-year career lawyers who are looking for their next purpose? What would you say? Do you want to talk about entry level here or, or people who are already having two, three years of experience? I think if you're looking at the Tokyo market, you could have people who are two to three experience, but there's also some who are sort of really quite new. So what would, advice would you have for those younger lawyers? Yeah, that's that's a very difficult one because usually these people, it's difficult for a recruiter to, to help them, especially it's quite rare for international companies or international law firms in Japan to hire entry-level entry, entry level people. As Ken also mentioned in the previous episode, um, they hire a lot of people from the US and they bring them over to Japan, right? That's right. Um, yeah, but if I had to give an answer, I, I would probably say that it's uh, important uh, to show someone's commitment to Japan if uh, we are talking about foreign lawyers, whether that is for personal reasons or because of a passion towards Japan or um, by knowing the language. Essentially, the commitment uh, to, to working here is what a lot of hiring managers are trying to see. But mm. you know, when it comes to Bengoshi, it's a fairly straight career path, law firm and then in-house. So it's right. It's a bit difficult to give standout advice on that one. <laughs> and then I guess too, going through, because you mostly hire people who have had a bit of experience in the market or other markets. How about advice for that group of people then? The ones who've been out maybe three to six years post-qualification have a little bit of experience. Is there any kind of advice or guidance or things you think would be useful uh, tips or maybe pitfalls to avoid as they move through their career? So yeah, mainly I have three suggestions uh, to people uh, who are looking on how to build up their career. Firstly, to be patient about it. So sometimes the right position may take a while to come up. For instance, at the moment, I'm working on about 40 or 45 opportunities on my own. However, I'm still speaking to some candidates that uh, I wouldn't advise them to go for any of these 40 positions. Mm. Secondly, be quite organized uh, when going uh, about a job search. So remember where you have applied, don't overload yourself uh, with applications, just focus on, uh, on two, three applications and try to maximize uh, uh, the results. And thirdly, have clarity on your priorities. So making sure you know which factors uh, will make you decide on uh, which job you want to accept and uh, also make sure you know what you want to achieve from a job search. Because as a recruiter, I cannot tell you what's your most important priority, but I can help you find what you want based on the priorities that you give me. Yeah, and I think often you will hear it and what they say and listening to how they say things. But focus, be patient, be organized, have clarity on your priorities. That's top class advice. Really, really great. Is there anything else that you might have for example, um, tips on how people can actually best interact with a recruiter and get the most out of the relationship? Absolutely. And here I think <laughs> based on our previous conversation, you may also have to add uh, your experience uh, from uh, 
uh, from your career so far. Essentially, my biggest advice would be don't be afraid to outreach a, uh, a recruiter, even if uh, you're not looking for a job. Around 90% of the interactions I have every week are with people who are just curious to find out information about the job market and not with people that are looking. I'm very happy to provide this information and very happy to have that conversation. It's a great idea. And also, yeah, we did talk about my own experience, which was, you know, like any other relationship you have, business, personal, you, you don't just leave it and only call on it when you need it. Um, like you've just been saying, don't be afraid to ask a recruiter, but, you know, it's a two-way street. And so I find that the best relationships I've had have been where I've kept up with a recruiter. And, you know, you might forget about keeping in touch, but if you put it in the diary, in your calendar, you will be able to do that. And sometimes it's not always about the potential candidate finding out information. It's also helping the recruiter with the information you've got on your current role or inspiration or insights that you've seen. And so I feel it's really that two-way street uh, and it's really important. I think probably if we go back to Angela Krantz, she's one of the people who is I, I admire because she's been able to do that all through her career. She just has a list full of people who she really, really likes who are in the recruitment industry. Um, and some she's working with, some she's not, but she keeps in touch with them. And I think that's really key to most of our relationships. And it certainly applies in this case. Very much indeed. And to add to that, if we have a chat today and you tell me what your dream job is, and then I see your dream job, maybe in six months, one year, two years from now, I'll remember you and I'll send it across. And that's how a lot of moves happen. Exactly. How are you going to read my mind if I don't tell you and let you know? So I think that's fantastic. I just want to add to the previous question. That's also very much from the hiring manager side. So I know a lot of law firms especially are hiring quite passively here only when they find a really good candidate. So it's it's a very similar case, uh, keeping in touch uh, with uh, a hiring manager today and the hiring manager explaining to me what they want, uh, what kind of talent they would like to hire in the long term, again, will help me remember them when I find this particular talent and I can always send it across to them. So that's also on the hiring manager side, how keeping in touch with the recruiter can help. We're about to round up today, but Arikas, anything else that you would like to mention? I would like to thank you very much for having me here. I have uh, been listening to the podcast uh, for a while now, and I always have thought uh, that your listeners might benefit from a recruiter's perspective. So I was very delighted uh, to get the invitation. (laughs) And uh, I want to add to that. I know that in many cases, uh, recruiters have a sort of a notorious reputation for chasing the money. But I do believe that it's similar with law. It is very much a service job where you have to do justice by your clients and candidates, advising them how to find the best opportunity. And there is actually a Greek word here called Mm. philotimo. It doesn't Mm. translate to English. Essentially, it means having a sense of purpose and honoring one's responsibilities without allowing your dignity to be uh, salied. And that's very much what I try to bring in uh, my recruitment practice. I always try to give objective advice, even if that means that a lawyer may choose a job that is not through me. (laughs) Mm, Well, there you just said it. Is that philotimo, did you say? Exactly, yeah. 
Honoring one's responsibilities, purpose. Ah, and sometimes it may not be the one that you introduce them to. I had actually a case just uh, last week where a candidate came to me and told me, hey, Alkis, I have a job offer, but I want to see some comparisons. Do you have anything mm, to give me? Right. And I advised her with the three best positions that I believed uh, would suit her background. And in the end, I was like, however, I think your offer is quite good. So if I were you, I would probably take it. Whoa, there you go. Wow, that's really showing uh, what it's like, right? That's being human uh, and being true to yeah. the person and really being caring for them. I think that just sums everything up. Yeah, my, my dad always used to say, you don't have to chase the money. If you're good at what you do, the money is always going to come. Just, so true. just try to be good at your job. So true. I really love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And wow, the inspiration coming right there at the end. Thank you very much for being on this special episode. I know one of your uh, colleagues said, no, Catherine only introduces and has women guests and women lawyers on the show. You'll never be able to appear. So I'm very glad to have challenged that, to have had uh, some diversity come in. We have to represent 50% of the uh, listeners who are males. And I'm glad that we've had a few come through so far and that you've joined the ranks as well. I really have enjoyed today. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very much. And uh, it's, it's nice to be here. Great. And I'm so glad that you've been able to share all your thoughts. Um, and I think there'll be people who really would like to get in touch with you after this. How can they connect with you? What's the best way? Is it through your contact page on your website or are you also on LinkedIn? Yeah, so I am on LinkedIn and obviously quite active as a recruiter. <laughs> uh, and uh, also I'll, I'll give my email address and uh, down there in, in case someone wants to outreach via email directly. Love and uh, we'll also include my Instagram, but that has more personal Ooh. posts rather than... Oh, I didn't than, realize. Uh, You're on Instagram. Great. I'll connect with you there too. So thank you very much. We'll put all of that into the show notes. So anyone who's interested in connecting can actually reach out to you. No problem. Yes, no problem great. at all. Great, great. Okay, well, for my listeners, please do like this episode. It's been so exciting. Uh, subscribe to Lawyer On Air so you don't miss out. And we would love to hear a short review if you've got time to leave one on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whichever one you are listening to. I love hearing your actual voice telling me what you think about the guests and what you'd like to hear. Uh, we're really happy to hear that. So please share this episode with someone you think may enjoy listening to how hiring is done in the Japanese market. And we'd love to have them inspired to leave a wonderful lawyer extraordinaire life. Cheers, kampai, and bye for now. Thank you so much for listening today to this episode of Lawyer On Air. I really hope that you were inspired by the story you heard and that you discovered something new about women in the law. It's my passion to share my stories of amazing legal ladies so please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. And if you can think of even just one person to share this episode with, that would make my day. I would love to connect with you, so jump on over to LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Insta, where you can find me. The links are in the show notes below. Well, that's all from me today, and I look forward to seeing you right here on the next episode of Lawyer On Air. Cheers, kampai, and bye for now.